or you can take a photograph that was taken 30 years ago put it into a search engine then we can find out where that person is now and what they look like even though it's 30 years later Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Open source intelligence for the EP professional, is it something that everyone has to do or is it only for a few select specialists? I'm here with John Moss and Today, we're going to be talking with Pete Jenkins of ISS Training, and we're going to be looking at its applicability, not just in an academic sense, but in everyday operations. It's a pleasure to you know, have Pete, because of course, he is a long-standing friend of the BBA uh, and circuit community. Uh, John, what do you think we can try and get out of today's session? Well, you know, this is a huge area, and I think it's something that almost everyone needs to know something about and i'm not just talking insecurity i mean everyone who uses the internet because that's your information that's out there and other people have access to it it's open source so it's out there to be accessed by anyone and if you don't know what's out there then you're putting yourself at risk so yeah you know i'm really looking forward to getting pete's perspective on this and it's also great that Sean is on the interview as well, because this is a, a bit of a rabbit hole that I know Sean's going down at the moment. He's really delving into it. Yeah, he is. And and he's also a student of Pete's. So this is going to be nice. We can have the student and the, uh, the teacher uh, all on the same podcast. But let's take a step back. Uh, a lot of people with a military background might you know, know a spectrum of intelligence that one can uh, sort of draw from Humint, uh, Sigint, uh, GeoInt, but 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 where does this OSINT sort of fit in, or or does it overlay all over the top? Uh, because I, I suppose any of those ints could be available open sourced. Well, yeah, you've just answered your question. As far as I would answer it, anyway, that's how I see it. It's um, it, it's kind of a convergence of all of those things. Because all of those factors still come into play for the most part. It's about how you access the information more so than anything else. And do you think that this is something that will be of concern, of course, not just to individuals about their own data, but in, in a day-to-day -day EP role, how often will an EP operator be tasked with finding out some OSINT? Um, or is it going to be more of a specialist role for some specially tasked operator? Well, I think... Most high net worths now and prominent people, and anyone who is vulnerable, I mean, we're all vulnerable to some degree, but people with means and people, you know, with something to protect should be investing in this. And for the most part, a lot of people are, there are high level, talented experts, you know, who are being employed in these roles. However, the things that they go out looking for and the threats that they're trying to stop are often at a very different level to what the EP operator can look for. And there's, that, that, that's not just to do with skill, ability, and their focus. It's also knowledge. Nobody knows the principle quite the same way 
as what protection does protection and maybe you know the butler uh and so on but you you have to remember protection is with the principal everywhere they go so they see things they hear things more importantly they get a feel for things and they don't just see the principal they see all the family members and they might see them in a way in which the principal doesn't and so you have this very unique perspective where you have all these different pictures, these different um, th- these different viewpoints of the principal's life, the family's life, and that can enable you to be able to look for threats that almost everyone else in that inner circle wouldn't know either what to look for, how to look for, or if they saw something, they wouldn't necessarily know that it was of importance. Does that make sense? It does. I think you framed it excellently. And and actually, that's quite a motivational factor as to why someone in EP should go on an OSINT course. Um, I, I, I really like that. So perfect. Why don't we hear from Pete himself? And uh, along with Sean West, let's explore this very, very timely topic of OSINT, Open Source Intelligence. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to The Circuit magazine. Open Source Intelligence and the EP Protection Specialist of tomorrow. We are very, very pleased to be welcoming Pete Jenkins of ISS Training to the podcast. Myself and Sean West, a student of OSINT, in fact, are going to be looking at this topic and interviewing Pete just to see how we can improve the industry. It's a pleasure to have you on, Pete. How are you doing? That's great. Thank you very much for having me. No, I'm fine, actually. Love it. Love it. Well, let's, let's get into it. OSINT, what's wrong with the current state of affairs in the industry? I'm not sure if there's anything wrong with it, but um, it's something that's growing literally on a daily basis. And because the subject is so dynamic, it's, it changes every day. Um, that's the hard part because you've got to keep up. I've got to go on training courses for specific um, topics involving open source um, otherwise, I'll get left behind. Good example is um, a website that I use very regular for um, photography and research um, and geolocation has just changed. They, they're charging people for it when it used to be free. Um, so that's what we're up against, finding other sites that can do the same thing um, and make life easy for ourselves. Ah, I see. Yes, always, always evolving. That's that's very important. Um, but what about yourself? Um, why OSINT? Where, did, where, did, where does your passion for this topic come from? Well, I think from um, for the surveillance work that we're doing and the investigative work that we're doing. So many people these days put things up on the internet, whether it's social media, uh, business forums, dating sites. Um, if we're carrying out some background checks prior to a surveillance, it's our first port of call to go onto the internet and find out as much as we can about that subject and their intentions, or even if it's just a photograph to identify them. Um, and we can also use this live in conjunction with actual live surveillances that are, that are on the ground. That, yeah, that sounds, that sounds current and uh, exciting if you're, if you're in the field, especially. Um, 
But, but, but what about the people out there that know nothing about this topic, be completely uninitiated? <laughs> what, what, what should they know? I think a lot of people will, will Google something. They'll, they'll look at a person, but then they'll, they'll just put in their first name, their second name. But there are certain, certain search operators that we use, simple things like speech marks that collect phrases together, then put in a third search term or using a certain search engine to find out particular information. And I think this is what people lack. They just go straight to Google, bang something in, hoping they're going to come out with the results and they'll get 43 million hits when we don't want that. We want five or six hits on that subject. So it's knowing how to minimize those hits and be a bit more accurate with our, with our research. I think that's one of the main things. Um, and then show or demonstrate as we do on the open source course, how easy it is to get some information, or you can take a photograph that was taken 30 years ago, put it into a search engine, then we can find out where that person is now and what do they look like, even though it's 30 years later. Wow. Okay. Powerful tools, powerful <laughs> tools. Um, well, uh, with us, of course, we have Sean West, uh, a student of yours and a student of uh, OSINT. Um, Sean, I think we're going to angle this interview slightly different in the, you can be the, uh, champion for the audience, I suppose, because you've been on the course. So maybe if I ask you, you know, why did you feel you needed to go on such a course, and 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 what 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 were your general uh, takeaways? Well, the reason I wanted to go on the course, I just thought it was a great tool as I look to develop myself in the industry. Um, I work, you know, from being a close protection operator, went up into the sort of management levels, run my own company and you know have a number of high net worth clients and it's a great tool you can bring to the you know add to your toolkit being able to you know search things professionally find out you know dig deep and carry out better due diligence than like like pete suggested you know other people who maybe just do a google search i learned a great deal on the course and it actually it blew me away some of the techniques and how easy it was to find information on people you know you People know you can find things on, on the internet and you should watch your privacy settings, but to see how easy it actually is, is actually pretty scary. Interesting. Well, well then obviously there's, there's a wealth of data out there, but, um, but Pete, you know, for people who are embarking on their first course, you know, like uh, Sean was in this, in this topic, what sort of a prerequisite do, do you sort of recommend? Is, it, is there any um, other course they need to have done? Is there any background they need to have? Not particularly, I don't think, because um, as long as they're a bit computer savvy. I mean, the two-day course that we host, all you need is a, a decent computer. Um, we provide all the exercises, visual ones, the... Um, the practical exercises that the guys carry out on the course. When it gets to being geeky, then you need to know a little bit more about things like Linux and machine code, and um, and it get, does get complicated. But in two days, we can only teach so much. Um, and even since Sean did his course, we have really sexed up the course, and it's, we've changed it quite a lot because of other searches, other systems that are in place. Um, and it's not just about searching for people either. It's, um, we may have a photograph um, of a person that stood somewhere um, and we want to establish where in the world are they, what's, what was the date and what was the time when the image was taken. And there's no data embedded within that image. So by using various search engines, we can A, find out where the location is and then by other systems, find out the date and the time of exactly where it was. And we've had to do this for insurance purposes 
for insurance fraud purposes, I should say. Um, I've digressed a bit and I forgot what your question was. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's fine. That's, that paints a great picture. I, was, I guess I was wondering, you know, someone says, well, it sounds a little bit too complicated for me. Um, I, I need a forensics background. I need an IT background. What would you say to that? No, not at all, especially for our, our two-day course. Um, it sound, doesn't sound much being two days, but we do cover a hell of a lot of ground. Um, and it's very practical. We um, send all the learners um, photographs, images, exercises. So when we do a session on, say, using a search engine properly, they get given a live exercise and it gets to be a bit of a teamwork um, effort on behalf of the learners or a competition to see who can find the results fast. Um, it may be a picture of um, a guy sat in a graveyard. And from that image, we need to know where is that person to an accuracy of three meters using a system called what three words, which is quite new to people. We also need to know what time of year it is um, by looking at what's in the image. And then if they think they identify where it is, they've got to corroborate that. They can't just guess, they've got to corroborate and prove that that is the exact spot. Um, and there's lots of exercises like that, but we teach a bit, we give an exercise, then we teach a bit more, then we give another exercise and it's quite progressive throughout the two days. Um, so you don't really need to be a geek or IT literate to um, to do the course. Well, I think you, you just you do need to actually be a bit computer savvy as long as you can work a computer or a search engine, and you've got an inquisitive mind. I think um, you know you, you don't stop as soon as one door closes. You look at another. You think outside the box. What else can I use? What other tools do I have to find that information? The information you require. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. You, you don't need. A forensic background or anything like that as, as Pelham suggested it is just an inquisitive mind you're able to use a computer and you have an internet connection and it's amazing what you can find yeah the, the other the other thing to add to that and Sean's correct you won't find everything on the internet about a place or about a person so it's getting that background and then actually putting your boots on the ground and possibly corroborating that with it a lot of people think open source is great it will tell you everything you need to know it doesn't you've got to work the other half out yourself um, by other means. So Pete, that presents an interesting question. Um, when, especially the uninitiated are thinking about this, you know, they're saying, well, what, what, what can open source do? But more, more to the point, what is open source? And, and where's the line blurred between open source and, well, closed source? <laughs> Where, where's that line? Well, I suppose it's anything that's freely obtained on the internet. But then again, you're going to hit Paywalls, for example, if you do a, use a particular search engine, um, I'll use OneLine2.com as an example, because most people are familiar with that. Um, it's a combination of the electors register, the phone book and company's house. Um, you can do so many searches free or it'll get you so far for nothing, then you have to pay. So you hit a paywall. Um, if you've got a big budget, you can pay to, for subscriptions to many, many of these sites and databases where you're where it's easier to get information. Um, so that's that's it generally. You either pay for it or it's free. Are, are there limits? So so uh, is it possible to be searching for open source intelligence and suddenly stumble across non-open source sources, um, which which are perhaps not allowed? Is, is that a likely scenario? Well, if you find it, I would say by virtue of that fact, it's open. <laughs> But um, on a recent exercise we did, we had to identify the, um, 
the captain of a certain vessel. We found a spreadsheet in Denmark that listed all this personal private information about a lot of boat owners that own vessels in the UK, um, which was totally unexpected and actually probably a breach of the Data Protection Act um, because this, this document that you could learn, um, download as a spreadsheet contained a lot of personal private information from people's names, their addresses, their telephone numbers and their email addresses, um, which was quite a surprise, but it was there, it was on the internet, but it was put out by another country. So yeah, you can find things that you probably shouldn't be able to. Okay, okay. Well, that's 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 useful because I think maybe maybe people will be fearful. Oh no, I've stumbled across this, and now I'm going to get a visit from uh, some uh, agency okay. or whatever. Um, why do you think that today's EP professional needs this? Surely it's going to be one person in the team. Uh, is, is it that everyone will be faced with needing to conduct some OSINT research at some stage? But why EP and why OSINT? Uh, various reasons. I mean, if you've got pressure groups or um, activist sites, you can monitor those for anything that might go against your principle. Um, if you're looking at live, some areas, um, some towns, some cities, you can actually go on their website and you can dial into their CCTV. So you can see what the street... Um, cameras are looking at and actually get an updated view. Um, there's a various tweet maps where you can, let's say you've got um, an incident in, let's say, uh, Regent's Park. You could then go onto tweet map or snap map and various other sites and actually look to see who's, who's tweeting and who's snapchatting from that exact um, site. Um, and it may give you a heads up or some of any incidents or anything that's taking place there. It might be a march, it could be... Um, a conference and, and what have you. So it can give you things live. Um, another good example is we, we conducted um, a surveillance on two characters in the summer. They came from abroad on a ferry and by monitoring their social media, we knew exactly where they were on their journey throughout their drive on the ferry when they got off the ferry. We also knew what vehicle they were driving. And when they attended this um, this event, we knew exactly what we were looking for. We knew exactly what they looked like and what they were dressed in. We knew their vehicle. And when they talked to various people at this event, we were able to photograph those people that they're connected to and then turned it back on its head and searched social media. And we actually found out the identities of all the people they were connected with at this particular event. So in conjunction with um, conventional surveillance, we're also using open source at the same time to back up the team, really, um, and, and gather more intelligence. And alongside that as well, if, if you're a CPO working one up, you can also use open source. If you haven't got time to go and do a recce, there's lots of information out there before you go to view. If you're going to a different city, you're going to a football stadium, you, know, you can do complete walkthroughs at some of these places now. So there's, there's lots of information to be had there if you haven't got the time, like you say, or the manpower to get out and do these recce's. There is, there is a lot you can draw from, from online and different tools that's available to you. And, and possibly I could see that being very important when no one could travel anywhere because I saw a lot of EP uh, companies offering intelligence as a service in a way they hadn't been before because they wanted to, of course, maintain you know, business operations. Um, was OSINT especially useful during the pandemic, especially because there was a lot of hype, a lot of hysteria, um, still is, you know, um, and, 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 and does OSINT help 
in 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 that regard where you can't have people um on on the ground all the time during the pandemic Pete it was, it's funny because during the pandemic obviously because the surveillance operators or investigators couldn't go out on the ground but equally so our what would be our potential targets weren't going out either so so in some respects that it sort of um died a little bit and we had a big lull from both sides um although some of the investigations still took place um there were travel restrictions but we we're able to get around that um but open source we're still able to build up pictures because investigations basically were put on hold um, during the pandemic, which is why there's a big demand in surveillance at the moment, uh, because all the work, especially within the insurance fraud industry, it's now stacked up and they are well behind with their investigations. But when those jobs from the insurance company are coming in and stacking up, it gives the chance for the researcher to do their background checks on those so they're ready to go out to the surveillance teams and, and do the work. So... Um, yeah, that, that, that would, if it was to be an advantage of the, the pandemic, probably that was it. It just gave guys a chance to do all the background. But still, we've got a backlog of um, surveillances actually out on the ground. And then what, what sort of uh, skills do you think that somebody will learn on a noticent uh, course? Because I can imagine, I, I don't know, uh, during, during, for example, January 6th, there were loads of Twitter vigilantes identifying all sorts of things around the capital. And it seemed quite exciting, but it seemed quite, I don't know, amateurish in a way, although they did seem to draw up a lot of good stuff uh, from just photos. So, so, so what are the skills that people would sort of learn in, in an OSINT course? As well as the researching, um, it does take practice because you, we cover a lot of ground. Um, on the course, but you've got to go away and digest it and then put it into practicalities. Um, Sean hit the nail on the head earlier on by saying um, you've got to think outside the box. So if you've got a demonstration and you've got some guy in a T-shirt with a logo on it and with frizzy hair, we can take a snapshot of that. Hopefully we'll put it into a search engine and it might reveal their identity or it'll show where they've been at, at another event or demonstration. Um, another piece of software might pick up on the, the wording on his T-shirt and that will give us another clue to um, uh, their identity or where they're actually photographed on the internet as well. Um, there's a system out there called Rosetta. I think Facebook started it off where um, you can hold a placard or you can have wording on the T-shirt. And what the search engine does now, it actually reads what's on the placard and does a search for that term or that phrase rather than a picture of the placard. Um, so that can that's helped in some ID. I know the open source experts, Bellingcat, they've um, cracked a lot of jobs, a lot of research stories um, by tying various people into various demonstrations by the clothing that they wear and identifying them at one on one website to another, to another and to another. But I think thinking outside the box, where can I go with this? I've got this image. What should I do with it? Shall I put it into another search engine? Shall I... Um, Shall I identify it? Something simple like a logo on a shirt um, or something in the background. It may be a sign. It may be a piece of furniture that actually identifies where that person was when they've taken it. And it's using um, your common sense as well as with your intelligence and, and what you know of how to search for this. So it's a combination of all things, really. So, so Pete, I can imagine an EP operation wanting to do it, everything you've just mentioned in reverse. And find out how to obscure 
access to their principal. And I think people uh, quickly realized how to uh, block uh, the call sign of an incoming uh, private jet. Um, that 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 was um, that surprised many when everyone could just find it easy. Um, but but what would you have to do to try and hide the movements of your principal from, you know, potentially dangerous eyes? That's quite a big question. Um, I think first of all, it's going to be from the security of the the, the security team uh, and anybody else connected with the principal, even from a, a photograph that the principal's cleaner puts up on. Twitter or Facebook of their principal leaving the house to, um, yeah, the, the whole security issue. Um, I don't think the weak link is the security team and the principal, it's anybody that's surrounding them. I think it's a lot of education, isn't it? I mean, a lot of what I deal with is high net worth families and they have their younger you know, siblings or teenage family who are on all of the different social networks. And, you know, some of them don't understand they just, you know, they post everything wherever they go, whatever they do, whatever they buy, eat, everything. And every time they post, they'll have their location, who they're meeting with, what they're doing. And until someone points out to them what they're doing and that they may be of target because of who their, you know, their uncle or their father, mother is, they don't really see they're doing anything wrong. And it just goes straight back to simplistic things such as, you know, I guess, usernames and passwords as well you know you'll, you'll have these people that'll use the same username password on so many different sites and, and just from, from doing your course peter that was my first sort of step into open source intelligence professionally doing a course and it it opens the you go down the rabbit hole and you, you become quite addicted to you know learning more learning new tools and, and you find tools and you know just put my email address into a couple of the tools and it comes up you know with the leak sites your old passwords and so and I, I was sat with someone and he put his email address in and he couldn't believe what, what I found out. He was like, so he instantly changed all of his passwords on everything. And I think it's just a bit of education to these people to help from doing a small course, what I done, an intro and then moving on. You know, so I'm by no means someone who's done years of training. What, what I can find out or the uninitiated with a little bit of training can find out. If someone's targeting you, it's pretty scary what someone can do for a two-day course to mm. a professional. And I think that makes you look then and think, Jesus, yes, I do need to look at my security and stop posting my things all over the place. I don't use the same username, passwords, wherever it is. And you, you give a bit more thought to what you're putting out there, your footprint, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I agree. We, I mean, early, earlier this year, we had to trace an individual and we knew his Facebook details, his Instagram um, <clears throat> and Snapchat. And it was quite good, really, for us because he liked to take selfies. And we demonstrate this on the course that this this character we had to find out where he was, and we established he was in London. And by taking the selfies, we took five or six different selfies and family photographs, established what part of London it was, and then literally, I spent five hours on Google Earth, walking the streets, digitally walking the streets of this um, this postcode area looking for these five or six different properties where, which were in the background. And I established that four of them were all on the same street. Um, and that gave us a great heads up because over a four year period, he'd been photographed on that same street. So then we could go back to the client and said, this is where he is. This is what we're up to now. We know exactly that he's in London. We know he's on this street. Do you want to go further and actually locate exactly where he is? So, um, 
Yeah, just purely by people putting pictures up that they think is quite innocent. They're actually telling us quite a lot of, um, giving us a lot of intelligence, um, although it's a selfie. It's what's in the background. It's, um, it's what's in the foreground and everything else. That, that makes me think, because on my own uh, Instagram account, I, I, I try and post pictures of interesting things and I, I try not to uh, geolocate them and I, I try not to, uh, you know, put myself in them. And, and that, that, that's the common uh, travel risk management policy. If you're, if you're going to Mexico, never, ever put a geotag because people are waiting to, you know, find you. Um, and, 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 and here, if you're, if you're looking to remain under the radar or just, uh, you know, protected, what else can people do to protect? themselves um apart from not posting that's that's obviously going to be good um uh, can can they post pictures of nice looking flowers and bits and bobs i mean what what what, what should they be doing um not using the internet full stop <laughs> but um but it's like you say somebody will put a picture up of um a nice flower i don't know they're in mexico they've taken a picture of a flower they put it on instagram and then somebody goes where are you at so then they go, well, we're in um, whatever town in New Mexico. So, and then people come, oh, I stayed there. Where did, did I, I stayed in this hotel? Then they start, well, now I'm in this hotel. And it goes on. So you, you can put one picture up. Somebody asks a question that's on your friend's list. And all of a sudden you've got the whole history. Um, so keep it in the DMs. Yeah, yeah. keep, keep it all private. Um, I mean, it's a simple hack to find out when somebody's birthday is with Facebook. You go onto their profile, you search mm. within that profile for the word birthday. And then all of a sudden you've got all these people going, happy birthday, Pete, happy birthday, Pete. And it's like <laughs> the whole world knows my birth date now. Um, not that I use it as a password or anything, but, um, but it's just one little pivot point to take us somewhere else if we're doing our searches. Yeah, don't post anything at all that's, um, that's personal. Or I mean, I've got this philosophy. I only put on the internet what I want other people to see. Keep it as simple as that, whether it's on Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, and it's like Facebook. I only accept friends off people I've actually met and shook hands with. Um, very rarely will I take a friend request of somebody I don't know. LinkedIn is a bit of a different matter, but um, social media, um, and that's where you put your personal private stuff and you want your friends to see. It always surprises me on LinkedIn, uh, some very attractive person, could be any gender, but anyway, person, um, maybe from Eastern Europe, um, suddenly making loads new security friends. And I'm like, really? Like, how come 300 of my fellow contacts have accepted? Um, um, this, this is clearly not, uh, not right. Um, uh, but what do you think then, Sean? Is this is something that EP should actually be worried about? Or is it a certain portion of the ep team that's going to be having to protect their principal in this way i think everyone should carry out the training it just adds another dimension to what you can offer to your principal so i definitely think everyone should do it if, if you're working in the industry increasing your investigative skills is it's just a good tool it's some good training to do but also when you are asking the question what can people do to stop people finding them there is organizations out there that do sort of professional online vulnerability assessments and they can do digital erasure of you know things that you've put up in the past and they do a almost a digital overwatch of things that come up about yourself and they can remove all of that i'd imagine it'd be quite a full-time and you'll all if, if you're trying to find something on somebody you're always going to find it if you're looking deep enough but 
it's it's like security. You know, you put you put your cameras up, you put your whatever you put up as a deterrent. So if you do, if you are a high net worth individual, you can go to these companies and get them to erase the information that you don't want to be easily found. And it just makes it a little bit more difficult for someone who's looking for you. Of course, they're not going to erase everything, but it may be enough of a deterrent for someone to close the door and move on to the next easier target. I think if I if I can add to that, the um, I think for CPOs and, and what have you, that they should be do, googling themselves. I should say, doing research on themselves. And, and like Sean said, finding out where they've been mentioned on the internet, whether it's um, a social media handle or they've been named or their photograph. Um, because the main reason is recruiters also carry out open source. Um, research. So if, I've, if I'm recruiting for a surveillance operator or an instructor or an investigator um, and I get 20, 30 CVs, what's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to put their name into a search engine, the date of birth or the company that they worked for, and I'm going to do a quick sift first. And if I see somebody dancing naked on a table in a pub, um, then they're not going to be the person because, I mean, in the CP role, but if your principal does that, um, you know, searches one of the um, the security team. It just backfires. So, yeah, you need to clean up the, your presence on the internet for the benefit of recruiters that don't that won't dismiss you, or for the benefit of your um, uh, your principal that might decide to do a quick search because they're bored. Yeah, ex- um, exactly that. I mean, that that's that's a great point as well because I recruit a lot of CPOs. It's one thing I never thought about there, but yes, I do that. I all I always Google who I'm employing have a quick look on social media just to see you can see how they're communicating with their friends you, you can kind of get a background of you know their personality as such and yeah it is a massive tool that recruiters do use and there's been many times where just through carrying out that quick two minutes on facebook or something like that it has cost people a job where i've not i thought they're not right for this position and i've just moved on but where if i'd went off the cv you know it might have been fine but yeah you do definitely, and it's a great point there, Pete. If you are working in the, in the industry, you have to sell yourself as a professional. So, what is it? Whatever is on your social pages that also needs to speak that you're a professional. And, and I have actually seen people um, lose jobs as well from things that they've posted. You know, on principals' yachts and posting, you know, pictures of them doing whatever they're doing, and people have actually lost positions because of this. So, yeah, for sure, you need to keep an eye on what you're putting out there. So Pete, obviously people can go on a, a course uh, like like your course, um, uh, but there, there seems to be a lot of books um, out there. Um, are these are these books easy reading? Do they require uh, to be accompanying a course? Um, what, what sort of books could people go to uh, to sort of look at? There is a book, one of the probably the Bible for open source research. Um, I'm just looking for it now. I forgot the name of the author. Is it Michael Bazell? Or... It is. It's Michael Bazell's eighth edition. It's like six inches thick. <laughs> but um, I, I've got a copy and I've speed read it and I've got hundreds of dog-eared tabs um, throughout the book. It's a great tool. It's a great reference point um, to use if you're going to do this sort of work. The only problem, like we're on our eighth edition um, and give it six months, 12 months, um, he's probably going to update it to a ninth one. But the recent copy, it's not that expensive. It's, I think it's worth every penny. Is a great tool um, because you do forget things. There are thousands of websites out there. 
you can't cover them all. Uh, and Michael's book does cover yeah, quite a lot of research and tips of um, how to do things. And because it's so dynamic, he's he's progressive. He rewrites the book when he feels he's the need to. Um, yeah, and it's, it normally is updated. It's pretty good. Um, the other place to go is um, Bellingcat's website and or YouTube. For, I mean, YouTube's fantastic. You've just got to put in open source research, Twitter or Snapchat, and you'll get guys up there. For some reason, they're always from Holland. Though A lot of them are from Holland, and I feel the Dutch are probably the international leaders in, in doing this type of work. I don't know why, but they, um, they seem to be very good at it. So, um, yeah, reading books go i mean i'm not a big fan i mean i've written a few books but i'm not a big fan of books because i'd rather have somebody in front of me coaching me tutoring me um picking up on my mistakes to, to get it right um but yeah there are some good resources out there a few books um on the internet <laughs> search the internet for it. yeah I, I i i i'm with you with the, the the dutch um i think there's a lot of dutch as part of the osint curious project and there's uh, there's there's a lot of interesting dutch op operators um so pete what, what's next for you I don't know, i'm involved in a lot of things as well <laughs> we've just finished a two-week surveillance course um in, in my other hat I, I work as a commercial photographer um and an nuj photojournalist so we've um We've had a few projects. Um, some have hit the news recently, and a couple more may hit the news in a, in three or four weeks' time on some of the um, investigations that I've been involved with. But um, no, it's slowly training, carrying out the, the investigation work still, um, which should take us up to Christmas, if I'm allowed to say that word. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nearly there. It's nearly upon us. It's uh, think things things are moving really really fast. All right, well. This is short and sweet, but I really appreciate the look into the world of OSINT as applied to executive protection. That's why it's fantastic to have Sean, our co-presenter anyway, who's been on your course. Uh, and uh, yeah, Pete, from Sean and myself, it's been a pleasure having you on. It's been a pleasure being here. Thanks very much. Open source intelligence absolutely is everywhere, as is your data. I think such a key set of takeaways from Pete and, and of course, Sean's uh, experience learning from Pete. I really enjoyed today's session. Uh, what did you take away, uh, John? I, I think there were so many different uh, nuggets. Yeah, definitely. We, we went down lots of rabbit holes, I feel, in this one, and all it did was peak interest. I think this is really a great taster episode to whet people's appetite and also to um, bring home the importance of why everyone needs to know something. And if that's of interest to you, then you, the different ways in which you can take that knowledge further, just like Sean is doing. And as you know, Pete alluded to, even with that canonical book um, that, that, that people seem to, to pick up um, or no sind, it needs updating every six to 12 months because there's always a new source or there are always sources that used to be free and are now not uh, and things that used to be closed and are now open. So I think it's a continual education to try and look at it. And, and there are some real world ap uh, applications. You, you, you don't want the call sign of your principal's private jet featuring all over the place, but yet conversely, you might want to know if somebody of particular interest 
who potentially could threaten your principle is coming to town. So it's really swings and roundabouts. You, you're going to use it internally and externally. Yeah, you know, and I think uh, one aspect of the discussion that I really enjoyed was, well, well, first of all, let me say that I think for a lot of people, this topic can often seem like, uh, you know, delving deep into search engines and extracting information about people through social media and so on. And, and of course, that does play a big part in it. But I think the example that Pete brought up with the, the photograph that he gives to his students, you know, and asks them, and they have a, this competition to see who can come back with the information first. I think these um, are really good exercises and it's a really good demonstration of how powerful these resources are that you can get a random photograph and that you can then run with that and start to extract information like where is the person where where on the planet are they where what road are they on what time of year what time of day you know and, and taking all these different bits of information with an investigative mind which i think is also really important it's not just tech so it, it is about application as well and coming up with a really specific set of data you know from that that's that's really exciting and and it's really uh dangerous as well and that's why we you know should be enthused by this and get you know to to get the knowledge ourselves both so we can use it in an investigative way, but also so that we can ring fence ourselves and our clients and protect them. Absolutely. And, and, and the power of some of these uh, uh, open source uh, you know, feeds, uh, both, you know, both sides of the fence is, is amazing. Um, I think in the podcast, I mentioned the OSINT Curious Project, which has quite a lot of people from the Netherlands. And I know Pete said there's a lot of strong um, practitioners from the Netherlands. I literally went on their Twitter feed and they've sent me to an enormous uh, treasure trove of potential OSINT sources, ranging from arms trading, banking, bribery, data sets, crypto, country risk, geoint, human trafficking. I'm literally reading them off the page and I'm thinking, if, if I found this list on just one little search, what could I find <laughs> if I spent time? Um, now, now, obviously, I can't vouch for the effectiveness of any of these tools that I've literally just come across, but that's the spirit of OSINT. You've got to be curious about, um, about the task at hand. There's a lot of places we could go with this uh, podcast today, but I'm, I'm really pleased we looked at it in, you know, with that teacher, trainer, and uh, student uh, perspective. Um, talking about learning and development, we have our very own learning and development uh, forum coming up on the 19th of November. Uh, it will be in the UK evening, uh, US afternoon, and Australian morning. And it's going to be a very, very interesting topic all around workplace violence and its applicability to executive protection, which I think, John, you'll, you'll, you'll agree, is going to be an increasingly big problem. Well, it's always been a big problem and it will always continue to be a big problem. And yeah, I think in recent times, it's probably been exacerbated also. And people coming back into the workplace, workplace is changing. 
and different pressures and stresses on us as well these days. So these can all spill over and knowing how to deal with these situations, both, you know, once they do spill over, but also what really interests me is the preventative side and the steps that can be taken beforehand. And I know uh, without dropping any names at this stage, I know some of our guests that we have lined up are very knowledgeable in this area. So it's, it's going to be an absolute feast. Absolute feast. And indeed, you know, we're bringing the pages of the magazine to life. I think it's going to feature more in our articles. Of course, we're always looking for more uh, lovely articles and varied articles. But apart from that, I think we're really pleased at the moment at the engagement we're getting across the board. Uh, but we still need you to share this podcast to spread the word. If you liked it, hopefully you did, uh, please share and spread the message. And then if you wouldn't mind, if you go to our individual sources and hit like, it really does boost everything we're doing. And just, just to show that little bit of support, uh, be that on Twitter or Instagram, or indeed, if you go into the BBA Connect app or the NABA Protector app, uh, that is also a fantastic place to engage. OSINT, I'm really, really interested in it. Actually, so much more interested now I've done a little bit of OSINT myself. So from John and myself, it's been a pleasure talking to Pete Jenkins today. And uh, we look forward to engaging with you on another Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.